the beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When is the last time you ate and drank at a meal? Probably this, this morning, or, or maybe, maybe yesterday evening. Most of us have two or three meals a day. Do you ever think about what a blessing that is? Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we, we, we eat and we drink without thinking, what a blessing this is. How many people in this world don't have two or three meals a day? How many people have to go a day without even a single meal? We don't always think about that. We're not always grateful. We're not always thankful for our food and drink. We, we sometimes, children, maybe, maybe you've done this, and adults can do this too. We, we, we sometimes complain about what's for supper, don't we? We take it for granted. We can have a kind of careless attitude about it. It's also possible to have a careless attitude about the Lord's supper. We can take it for granted. You may remember that two weeks ago in the afternoon service, we considered the Bible's teaching about the Lord's Supper, what it is and, and what it's all about. And hopefully, hopefully you saw with me how, how the Bible shows us what a great blessing, what a great gift Christ gave us when He instituted the Lord's Supper. And He commanded us to do it, to eat the broken bread and to drink the cup in remembrance of Him, in remembrance especially of his suffering and his death in our place, in the place of all who look to him in true repentance and faith. What a gracious Savior Christ is, instituting this supper so full of gospel instruction for his weak and his sinful and his needy people the very night he was going to be betrayed and then sentenced to death and crucified the next day. How much love there is in the heart of the Savior, in the heart of our Lord Jesus, that He would so care for us to give us the supper as a sign and a seal so that as we eat and drink in faith, we might be assured not only that He gave Himself for us, but also that He gives Himself to us by His Spirit to feed and to nourish our souls to everlasting life, to assure us that we are united to Him. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. That's what it's for. That's why Christ instituted it. To strengthen our faith in Him. And that's what makes it so, 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 so important, so wonderful. That's what makes the Lord's Supper such a great blessing and gift for His church. But like with every other blessing and gift in life, including our daily meals, we can take the Lord's Supper for granted. We can have a careless attitude about it. And that was one of the problems in the Corinthian church, according to the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. The Corinthian Christians were displaying a careless attitude toward the Lord's Supper. How so? Well, in their case, they were having the Lord's Supper while at the same time being content to live at odds with each other. They weren't living in selfless love toward each other. They were living in blatant disregard for one another, even when they were supposedly having the Lord's Supper. Verses 20 to 22. Make that, 
make that much clear. But the point is that the Corinthians were being careless with the Lord's Supper. That can be a real possibility, not just in Corinth, but in every place, including in the Bethel Free Reformed Church of Bano, Alberta. We can have or we can be tempted to have a careless attitude toward the Lord's Supper. It might not show in, 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 in the same way as it did with the Corinthians. But it can show in all kinds of ways. It can show, it can show in not really desiring it. Can't it? Not desiring to come. It can show in, 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 in not making an effort to deal with a sin in your life that, that keeps you, prevents you from coming. But it can also show in coming automatically. Coming and eating and drinking simply because you're a confessing member of the church. Coming and eating and drinking as an unbeliever. Or eating and drinking as a believer but at the same time living in unrepentant sin. A careless attitude toward the Lord's Supper is a real possibility. And that carelessness is what Paul addresses, especially in verses 27 through 34. After reminding the Corinthians what the Lord's Supper is about, he addresses the issue of eating the bread and drinking the cup. You notice the word, unworthily. In other words, eating and drinking in a careless manner, in a manner that doesn't fit, that doesn't fit the gospel meaning and the gospel purpose of the Lord's Supper. That's what it means to eat and drink unworthily in this context. It means to eat and drink in a manner, in a manner that doesn't fit with, the, with Christ's gospel instruction and, and intention in and with the Lord's Supper. And so it's those verses, verses 27 through, through 34, that we especially want to focus on, also in light of the Bible's teaching summarized for us in Lord's Day 30. Our theme with God's help then is eating and drinking at the Lord's Supper. We'll consider, first of all, the warning we must heed. And secondly, the call we must obey. And thirdly, the Savior we must look to. But the first thing we see from our text is the warning. The warning we must heed. Where do we see that? Well, if you look at verse, verse 27, Paul has just reminded us what the Lord's Supper, which, which Christ himself appointed, is about. It's about the death of Jesus Christ. His death in the place of sinners who look to him. And that makes the Lord's Supper a very serious matter. It's not something to be careless about. And so Paul goes on in verse 27 to warn, to, to, to give a warning. He says this, Wherefore, or therefore, because the Lord's Supper is a visible proclamation, a picture of Christ's death for sinners, for their salvation, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You hear the warning? Don't eat. Don't eat the bread and drink the cup unworthily. That's the warning. And it's a warning we must heed. Why? Why? Well, for one thing, because of the seriousness of eating and drinking unworthily. Verse 27 highlights that. It says that whoever eats and drinks unworthily shall be what? Shall be guilty. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that if we eat and drink unworthily, 
it's, it's really shocking language. Because it means that if we are eating and drinking unworthily, we are essentially guilty of murdering the Lord. How can that be? Well, you think about what the bread and the cup represent. Verses 24 and 25, they tell us, don't they? The bread, they, they represent, they picture for us the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we eat and drink that cup unworthily, without sincere repentance and faith in Christ, we are despising the symbols, the signs, the pictures of Christ's body and blood. And that's essentially the same thing as despising Christ himself. You think of the flag. Think of the flag of a country. The flag, what does a flag represent? It represents the country, including its, its government and its people. And so sometimes, not, not all the time, but sometimes when people burn the flag of a country, they are showing their contempt and their hatred of that country, of, that, of the country's government and of the country's people. You, you know, you see that happening actually today in some of the protests going on about about Israel's war in the Middle East. The other day I, I saw on the news some, some protesters in, in New York City. They, they set an Israeli flag on fire and they dragged it down the street. It, was, it, it, was, it showed their contempt for Israel because that flag represents Israel's, Israel, its government and its people. But you see in a far greater way the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, they represent the body and blood of the Lord, of Jesus Christ. And so when we eat and drink the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper unworthily, we are showing contempt for the Lord himself, the Lord of glory. That's what our text is saying. That's what makes us guilty of his body and blood. And that means then that eating and drinking unworthily is an extremely serious matter. And that's why, that's why we must heed the warning. We must heed the warning not to do that. Are you heeding that warning? How do you come to the Lord's Supper? How do I come? Isn't that an important question to ask ourselves? Not only because, not only because of the seriousness of eating and drinking unworthily, but also because of the consequences. You look with me at verse the first part of verse 29. Verse 29, it says, For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. What does this mean? You might look at that word damnation and you think that means that if you even once come in a wrong way to the Lord's Supper, you're done for. You're irreversibly condemned to hell. But that's not what the word damnation refers to in this context. Verse 30 makes clear that the damnation or the judgment Paul is referring to is not necessarily eternal judgment, but judgment here and now. What was happening because of the careless attitude of the Corinthians? Paul says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and, and are sick and, and, and sleep. They, they, were, they were becoming sick and, and some of them were even, even dying. That's judgment here and now. And, and in verse 32, Paul actually distinguishes that judgment from eternal condemnation. He says, he says, when we are judged, in verse 29, no, not verse 20, verse 32, when we are judged, 
That's the verb form of the word for judgment, for damnation, in verse 29. When we are judged, we are chastened or we are disciplined of the Lord that we should not be condemned. Condemned. And that's a different word. It's a stronger word with the world. The point here is that eating and drinking unworthily is not the unforgivable sin. But God does take it seriously. Because the Corinthians were eating and drinking unworthily, because of their careless eating and drinking at the Lord's Supper, God was bringing judgments on them. That was the reason why many of them were weak, why many of them were sick. That was the reason why even quite a few of them had even died. That was God's judgment on them for their eating and drinking unworthily. Well, those are pretty serious consequences, aren't they? The Lord's Supper congregation is not a laughing matter. It's serious. Are we taking it seriously? If we are, then we will heed the warning of our text. Don't eat and drink at the Lord's Supper unworthily. But maybe by this point you're, you're thinking, okay, but what does it mean to eat and drink unworthily? That's a very good question. That's all we need to know in order to correctly heed this warning, isn't it? And this is where we can easily go wrong. Because we can easily think that eating and drinking unworthily means eating and drinking, going to the Lord's Supper without having, for example, full assurance of our salvation. Or, or eating and drinking without having some sort of dramatic or, or, or deep spiritual experience, something we can, we can talk about. Or eating and drinking without having reached a certain degree, or whatever that degree is, of a sense of sin or of, or of holiness. Or eating and drinking without some mysterious feeling that we should go. But can I ask you something? Where does the Word of God only teach that? That's not what eating and drinking unworthily is. Christ did not tell his disciples to eat the bread and drink the cup only when they have a feeling that they should. And if they don't have that feeling, then they're eating and drinking unworthily. Eating and drinking at the Lord's Supper unworthily is eating and drinking when you are not living in sincere repentance and faith. That's what our text is warning against. That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were not discerning the Lord's body. They were treating the Lord's Supper as a common meal. But not only that, they were treating his death as a common thing. As if it means nothing. They may have been true Christians, but they certainly were not living as Christians at that time. They were not living in true and genuine repentance and faith. They were backsliding. They were living at odds with each other. They were being greedy and, and selfish and getting drunk even. And they were not sorry. They were living in sin, the very thing that Christ died to save them from. And they did not care. They were living, to use the words of the catechism, as hypocrites, as pretenders, and such as turn not to God with sincere hearts. That's how they were coming to the Lord's Supper. 
And if that's how you or I come to the Lord's Supper, then we are eating and drinking the cup of the Lord unworthily. If we are hypocrites, if we come as hypocrites, spiritual cheats, not true believers, pretenders, people who, who pretend to be Christians, who have got the outward appearance of a Christian, but inward, inwardly their hearts are, 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 are tombs that stink with sin. Or if we are Christians, but we are refusing to sincerely repent and turn away from sin to God, and yet eating and drinking at the Lord's Supper, then we are eating and drinking unworthily. And then we are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And we are eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. God might not judge us the exact same way that he did the Corinthians. But he may well judge us. That's why we sang Psalm, Psalm 138. You might, might have thought as we sang, well, that's a pretty negative song. You see, it's a warning. It's a warning. And that's also why in answer 82 of the Catechism, we confess that those who by confession in life declare themselves unbelieving and ungodly. In other words, those who are living in open unbelief, in open sin, in their lives may not be admitted to the Lord's table. Because if the church did admit them, they would be eating and drinking unworthily. And God's covenant would be profaned and His, his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. That's what was happening in Corinth. And that's why that answer goes on to say it's the duty of the Christian church according to the appointment of Christ and His apostles to exclude such persons. Those who are living in open sin, in open unbelief, by the keys of the kingdom of heaven till they show amendment of life. And we'll talk about the keys more next, next time. But, but this, is, this is the reason, congregation, we practice close communion. We don't just let anyone partake of the Lord's Supper. It's, 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 it's for confessing members in good standing. Those who are not living, who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ and are not living in, 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 in a public open sin and are not under discipline. And also for visitors who, who come and, and, and ask permission from the consistory beforehand. Because eating and drinking unworthily is so serious. It warrants the judgment of God. That's a serious thing. And yet, and yet, beloved, it's so important to understand that his judgment is not meant to be a punishment. It's not. God has a gracious and loving purpose even in judgment in the here and now. It's not meant to condemn us, but to chasten us, to warn us, so that we turn to Him in true repentance. Our text is not teaching us that God is just waiting for someone to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily so that He can throw them into hell. No, that's not what our text is saying. It's actually saying the complete opposite. It's saying that God does not desire the death of the wicked but that he should turn, turn, turn from his wicked way and live. God's judgments on those who eat and drink unworthily are testimonies to his great love and grace and long-suffering. Do you see that from our text? But then it must also be said that if we do not heed 
his judgment. If we do not heed his loving discipline, his warnings that he gives us in grace here and now, and we die without truly repenting of our sins and looking to Jesus Christ in true faith, then we have no reason. We have no reason to think that we will escape eternal condemnation in hell. Not because we have lost our salvation. But because if, that, if that's true of us, that's true of you, it shows that you never believed in him in the first place. Well, then let us heed this warning. Let us take care. Let us take care not to eat or drink the cup of the Lord unworthily. And if we have been, if maybe this word, this warning convicts you this morning, you've been coming to the Lord's Supper unworthily, you've been coming and you've been living in some unrepentant sin, then don't despair because God is graciously and lovingly calling you and urging you and beseeching you through our text to repent, to turn from your sin now and to turn to Christ in faith. And He has promised that all such He will graciously forgive and receive. But maybe you hear this and you think, well, if eating and drinking unworthily is that serious, maybe I should just not come to the Lord's Supper. It's safer that way. Maybe that's even why you haven't come in the past, even though you maybe desire it. But is that how we should respond to this warning? That's, that's, that's the question we want to consider now in our second point, the call we must obey. In light of the danger of eating and drinking unworthily, what are Christians to do? Well, what does our text say? Look at verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That's, that's what Christians are to do. We are, it's, our text is calling us to examine ourselves and so eat and drink. It's not calling us to avoid the Lord's Supper as if, as if that's better or, or that's safer. No, it's calling us to self-examination. And, and in the Greek, it, it is a command. It's an it's a indirect command. But it's a command given in gentleness and love. But it's not optional. It's not optional. The call to self-examination is a call we must Obey. But what, what then does that look like? What does it mean to examine ourselves? Well, it means to really test ourselves by a certain standard. It means that we, we look at ourselves, we, we look at our hearts, we, we look at our lives, and we compare what we find there to, to how God's Word describes true Christians, and we see if it, if it matches. Children, you think of a teacher who's marking a, marking a, a test that you've done. Maybe it's a Bible passage you had to memorize, or maybe it's a, a math test or something, something like that. How, how does the teacher mark your test? Well, she compares your answers to the answers in the answer key, right? If it's a Bible memory test, she listens to you saying the words, and, 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 and she compares what you say to, to what the Word of God says, that, that, that particular passage. If it's a math test, she compares your answers to the answers given in the answer key. And that's what our text, you see, is calling us to do with ourselves, with our lives. 
We're to examine ourselves. We're to test ourselves. We're to compare ourselves with how the Bible describes what a Christian is. Of course, that raises a crucial question, doesn't it? What is a true Christian? How does the Bible describe what a true Christian is? What are the marks? Well, there are many passages we could turn to, but just think about, just think about what Christ and his ministry here on earth called people to do. What did he call people to do? He called people to repent, right? To repent, to turn from sin to God. He, he, he called them to believe in him, to believe the gospel. And he called them to follow him. To a life of holiness. And so a true Christian is someone who repents of sin and who trusts in and looks to Jesus for salvation from sin and who follows Jesus, striving to live a life of holiness, striving to become more and more like him. That's what a true Christian is. So those are the marks we're called to examine ourselves for. Those those are the marks that we are to look for in ourselves. Those are the marks that give us the right to eat and drink at the Lord's Supper. Nothing less and nothing more. It's not for those who are perfect or who've arrived because then the table it would just be empty chairs. Nor is it only for those who are fully assured of their faith and salvation. Or for those who've had a dramatic conversion experience. Or for those who have a deep enough sorrow for sin. Because how can anyone's sorrow for sin be deep enough? The Lord's Supper, to use the words of question and answer 81. The Lord's Supper is instituted for those who are truly, notice that word, truly, not sufficiently, but truly sorrowful for their sins. Meaning, meaning they're, they're, they're sorrowful with a godly sorrow, with a sorrow that leads them to, to hate sin and to forsake sin, a sorrow that leads them to, re, to repent of sin because it offends and it grieves God. It's for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ and that their remaining infirmities are covered, covered by His passion, His suffering and death and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy. In other words, the Lord's Supper is for those who have a personal knowledge and experiential knowledge of their misery, their sin and misery, and of deliverance, how they may be able to be delivered from their sins and misery, and an experiential knowledge of thankfulness to God. Those are the marks we need to have. That's the biblical standard for self-examination in connection with the Lord's Supper. But, but how are we to do this? I mean, how, how do you go about examining yourself? 
what, what, are, what exactly are we to look at? The text says, let a man examine himself. What does that mean? It means that we're to test our whole life. That includes our heart, our inner self, our, our thoughts and, and our desires and so on. All that lives in our heart. But who of us can test our heart? How can we know our heart? In 1 Kings 8, Solomon confesses that the Lord alone knows our hearts. And what does that mean then when we come to examine ourselves, to, to test our hearts? It means that we need to do it prayerfully. Asking God in the words of, of Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and, and know my thoughts and, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Self-examination includes humble and prayerful examination of our own hearts. But it also includes examination of our walk of life, our behavior, our behavior in relation to God and to others. And that includes our behavior in relation to our family and in relation to the world and in relation to authorities. And in relation to employers and employees. And in relation to co-workers and, and to customers and, 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 and fellow church members. And really in relation to everyone and to everything. And that too, congregation, must be done prayerfully and humbly. The self-examination that our text calls for is humble and prayerful examination of our heart, our inner self, and our behavior, our words and actions, or outward conduct. And when we do that, and we, and we see, we, when we do that, and we see that, that by grace alone, there are those marks of sincerely turning from sin and, and, and looking to Christ and striving for thankful obedience to His, to His Word. And when we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, we do not have to fear. We do not have to fear that we are eating and drinking unworthily or eating and drinking judgments to ourselves. Verse 31 makes that clear, doesn't it? For if we would judge ourselves, it's referring to examining ourselves, we should not be judged. Meaning we would not be eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. That's why we must obey this call to examine ourselves. And, and that's why too in our church we have a preparatory sermon the week before. It's meant to help us to help us obey this call. But what if we examine ourselves and realize that, that as Christians we have not been living the way that we should? That we have been living in some unrepentant sin. What are we to do then? Are we just to shrug our shoulders and say, well, I guess I'm not coming to the Lord's Supper? No. We must deal with it. If you don't deal with it, then don't come to the Lord's Supper. But then don't think either that you're a Christian. Until you're willing to deal with your sin issues in your life, you have no basis to think that you're a Christian or that you won't be condemned with the unbelieving world. So if you're living in some unrepentant sin, then deal with it. If it's a matter between, between you and the Lord, then go to, the, go to Him and, and seek Him in repentance, in sincere repentance and faith and ask Him for forgiveness and, and grace to hope and He will give it. Because His throne is a throne of grace in Christ that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if your sin involves other people, 
then sincerely confess it to them. Confess your wrong. And if it was done against them, ask their forgiveness. And then come. Come to the Lord's Supper and eat and drink in remembrance of Him. You see, the purpose of this call is not to keep believers from the Lord's Supper. Look again at what verse 28 says. It does not say, let a man examine himself to determine whether or not he shall eat and drink at the table of the Lord. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say, let a man examine himself and decide he cannot attend, especially if his faith is not altogether what it should be. It doesn't say that. It says, let a man examine himself, and so in that way, let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The purpose of examining ourselves is so that we might come and we might eat and we might drink it rightly in repentance and faith. It's an encouragement to come. But I need to, I need to conclude with my last point. Maybe you're thinking, how, how can self-examination be encouraging? When I look at myself, all I see is how far I fall short, how shallow my repentance is, how weak my faith is, how small my desire for stronger faith and greater holiness is. When I examine myself, it's not encouraging, it's discouraging. It makes me wonder if I'm, if I'm even a Christian at all. And then how can I go to the Lord's Supper? How can I be sure I'm not eating and drinking unworthily? But you see, then you're misunderstanding what self-examination is meant for. It's meant to help you come rightly, but it's not meant to make you come worthy in yourself. No one can ever come to the Lord's Supper worthy in themselves. We must come looking to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to eat and drink rightly. Congregation, we must look to you see, self-examination is meant to keep you from eating and drinking unworthily, but the only way to not eat and drink unworthily is to eat and drink looking to the Savior. In remembrance of Him, Jesus said, do this. That's how we eat and drink worthily at the table of the Lord, by looking to Him. That's how we have peace with God. That's how He accepts us, not by being worthy in ourselves, but by our looking in faith to the Savior. It's like the people of Israel on that first Passover in Exodus 12. Somebody sent me a text message this week. And at the top of the, 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 the message were these words from Exodus 12, verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And then below that verse, there was a picture of a doorway. And, and on the doorway were, were, was the blood of the lamb painted on the sides and on the top. And then below that picture were these words. The Lord did not check who, who inside the house was worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorpost. You see what that's saying? It's saying that to be saved and to have fellowship and communion with God, which is what the Lord's Supper is all about, it's a sign and seal of, there's one thing we need. There's one thing God is looking for when he looks at you and me also at the Lord's Supper at his table. He's not looking to see if you're worthy in yourself because you're not and you never will be. He's looking to see if the precious blood of his own dear son, the Lamb of God who was slain, is on the doorpost of our hearts by faith 
Because it's His blood alone that cleanses us from all sin. It's Christ alone that makes us worthy to eat and drink at the supper of our Lord. He's the Savior we must look to. And the wonderful thing is, He's the Savior we may look to. Every single one of us, young and old. Because He says in Isaiah 45, verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And so, congregation, let us all do so. And let us, in that way, as confessing members and believers in Christ, love and honor and make use of the Lord's Supper. It's His great and precious gift for poor and weak and needy believers. It's an incredible blessing. Let's not have a careless attitude about it. Let's not eat and drink unworthily, but let's examine ourselves. And so let us eat of that bread, and drink of that cup by faith in Christ, in remembrance of Him. Amen.